This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are joined by Christine Kerrig. She is the founding director of Kerrig Montessori School in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And she's been a Montessori teacher and administrator with a focus on early childhood education for nearly two decades. And I'm really happy to hear her perspective on not only child development, but also mother development. And we're going to be talking about matrescence, which is a topic that we've talked about on this podcast before. But talking to somebody who is in the world of early childhood education, I think she also has a great perspective on how some of early parenting misses the boat for the development of the parent as they're trying to be a gentle parent or figure out how they're doing their own parenting while also attending to the development of their child. We do get into a little bit of a hot topic, which are some of the holes that we see in the ideas of things like gentle parenting or other parenting perspectives that kind of potentially leave out the real lived experience of the parent who's trying to do the parenting. So I'm happy to have that conversation with her. It's been on my mind quite a bit. She has also written a little bit about it in an article that she'll reference on Insider, which I will also put a link to in the show notes. So you can read a little bit more about what we're discussing today. But outside of that, we are also talking about just the development into motherhood, also known as matrescence, and how important it is to be thinking of this process in terms of our development through a phase of life and into a phase of life. So let's get into it and meet Christine. All right. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming back. And I'm really excited to hear about your perspective today, especially since it's been a little bit since you were on the podcast the first time. Yeah. I just, let's start wherever you'd like to start. And do you want to start with the matrescence? 
or do you want to give any background, just like a very brief background on like your, yeah, I'm really happy to have you here and to talk about how you got to this point in the work that you do. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to talk about where things have come since last time. I know last time we talked, I was very much kind of just beginning to turn the lens back on my experience of having, you know, gone through having these four children of my own, and it was very much a personal experience. You know, since that time, I've kind of found my way into the study of matrescence. I ended up taking a class with a Dr. Arlie Athan up at Teachers College at Columbia University, and she actually runs the maternal and reproductive, the CORA maternal and reproductive psychology lab at Teachers College, Columbia University. And the whole field of study with this idea of matrescence and putting a developmental lens on this passage into motherhood resonated with me so much, probably in part because my work with early childhood development is a developmental lens. And so having a similar lens to view the the transition to motherhood through was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So done a lot of study there and I'm doing a little bit of writing with their lab and just connecting more and more dots as I go along. So I'm excited to have that conversation with you today. Yeah. So uh, that's awesome. And for people who are just getting familiar or hearing about the word matrescence, what is that? And can you go into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. So I want to give Dr. Ethan's definition because she really says it best. So it's defined as a developmental process of becoming a mother. So the transition from non-mother to mother or from being a mom of one kid to more. Uh, and the changes are holistic, meaning they happen across all the areas in life that make us human. So bio, psycho, relational, social, economic, existential, ecological, spiritual, all of those domains uh, get shifted in pretty seismic ways. We enter that passage into motherhood, not just the first time, each time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so important to have that lens. And I know that more and more people are really talking about it and trying to help people understand their transition into parenthood through that lens. Because I think it does a couple of things. One, it's not just like, oh yeah, well, everybody's doing it. So it you should be fine. Kind of the idea behind motherhood is that it happens. So it shouldn't be a big mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. It's ubiquitous. So what are we talking about? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But putting it in the developmental lens and frame that you are changing as a human is really powerful. And the way that Dr. Ethan talks about it is think of matrescence like adolescence. One, it helps you pronounce it. And then two, if we all think back to adolescence, we have a visceral feeling mm-hmm. <laughs> how many changes we went through in adolescence. It, it changed our peer group. It changed our identity. We had physical changes. We okay. had psychological changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while it's a time of heightened and rapid development, it's also a prime time for vulnerability. And for sure. if we think back to our adolescence, we can have a felt sense of that. And so that's what's very much going on in matrescence too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how does, I mean, you you tell us a little bit about the early childhood training and education you do or training you have in education you do. Yes. So my master's is actually in early childhood education and I am Montessori. Well, I say Montessori teacher because that's actually in my heart. I'm always Montessori teacher, but I run a Montessori school 
Carrick Montessori in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And, you know, I've been in early childhood education and very specifically in Montessori education for almost two decades now. And so that's really what I do day in and day out. I'm primarily with three to six-year-olds, although very exciting for us as a school, we're expanding into elementary. So I've got some first graders this year who are the highlight of my day every day over here. But, you know, I've worked in the early childhood side of things. And then since becoming a mother, I thought I was going to be very focused on my children's development. And I was, but I was also like, well, what about me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going through something here. And what is this that I'm trying to track in myself that I have no language for? So I had been fascinated with child development for, again, almost two decades. And then I really did wonder upon becoming a mother, if we know this much about child development, why are we not talking about this development that mothers are going through? Because I could feel it as that, you know, there were, there were shifts that were so seismic that I knew my brain was changing. I wanted a way to kind of make sense of that for myself. So yeah, the connections between my work in early childhood and matrescence have kind of, for me, felt really big because there are a lot of overlaps in that, you know, parts of early childhood development are really messy, but they Mm -hmm. don't need to be fit. That's just what they are. And parts of maternal development can be really messy, but they don't necessarily need fixing. They need support. Mm -hmm. Just like we think of for toddlers, you know, that tantrum needs support. Does it need fixing? Does it need to stop? No, it just needs, you know, those compassionate eyes. I think we should just sit with that for a minute because that is definitely not how we think or the, the framework for, I guess, the more um, conventional framework is that moms sort of either do need to be fixed or that they should be, I don't know. I don't even know what all is in there. There's just so much in what you said that we can just allow the support, but it is what it is. People are going through mm-hmm. a process and most people feel like they need to be fixed. Like there's something wrong with them. That's not okay. Right. And obviously, you know, we should say this, of course, especially on this podcast, there are times where there does need to be targeted support, right? Like sometimes we need medication. Mm -hmm. Therapy is a wonderful thing. There are times when, yes, we're going to fall into a category where there is a diagnosis. But if we think about statistics around maternal mental health, if we have, let's say, you would know better than I, but 20% of mothers being diagnosed with a perinatal mood disorder, Mm the 80%, they're not sailing through in the same way that, you know, four-year-olds are not sailing through life (laughs) (laughs) all the time either. It's hugely challenging to go through a phase of life where you're in an acute stage of development, like early childhood, like adolescence, like matrescence. There's just a lot going on there and there's a lot that we need to come alongside and recognize and validate without trying to say, this is not a normative experience because a lot of it is, even though it's pretty uncomfortable and messy. For sure. Oh, that's so important. So in your process in learning through all of this, how has it shaped how you see your, how your journey was at that time? I mean, it's been so useful in kind of synthesizing a lot of what I was looking at and the way I was looking at things. So I had my, you know, that I have four kids. And so I had my first child and I had been highly focused on the birth going into it, which I think a lot of new mothers are. That's like the thing you can kind of glom onto, like Mm -hmm. 
this birth process. Little did I know that the physical changes were going to be lasting afterwards. I mean, that I was really floored by the postpartum physical recovery, even though I had a pretty, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I had a pretty smooth birth. The postpartum recovery was really difficult for me. And no one talked to me about that. No one gave me any heads up about what that would be like. And and then I also became highly concerned about, you know, is there healthy attachment in this relationship and going Mm -hmm. down some rabbit holes that I think are really common in the way of like, looking at Dr. Sears and like the seven B's of baby bonding and kind of looking at the behavior that would Mm -hmm. indicate attachment rather than truly understanding that that's not that's someone boiling it down to the most simplistic and measurable terms. But that's not the crux of what healthy attachment is. Mm -hmm. And and if you want to read about that, Bethany Saltman's book, Strange Situation, does an amazing job of diving into the science of attachment in a really holistic way. But, you know, I kind of looking at it through the, those two lenses the first time around, right? Like the physical postpartum recovery. And that was before Kimberly Ann Johnson's The Fourth Trimester was out. Like that wasn't even available when I had my first child. I was looking at attachment kind of being really self-punishing about how I was looking at that too, mm-hmm. which I think we can it's not uncommon from what I see with the parents that I work with. Nope. Yeah. I'd like to get into that in a moment with you. Yes, <laughs> but um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get into that. And then, you know, my second child, I very likely had an untreated, I very likely had untreated postpartum depression mm-hmm. with him. And so then I was looking at everything through the lens of maternal mental health. All of these things were really useful, but then I had my third baby and my fourth. And I was like, wait a second. This is not my first rodeo. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still going through incredibly huge shift with each child that I have. And Mm -hmm. so what is going on here? And when we spoke last, you know, I was able to kind of, I had enough distance to be able to talk about how I had finally kind of befriended hypervigilance, right? Like I knew that that was going to rear its head in those early Mm -hmm. postpartum months after each baby I had. And I was just like, all right, yep, that's that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of part of the game, I knew that was coming. But having this way of looking at each of those experiences through the lens of matrescence has been like, well, of course, you had these profound experiences. And perhaps one of the domains that we talked about at the beginning, when we talked about the definition, psychological, physical, social, one of those domains might have risen to the top Mm. with each experience that I had after giving birth. But the lens of matrescence has kind of shown that like, they're all important. And one might be the most profound for you in the same way with adolescence, right? You know, sometimes it's the physical changes that were the most profound. Sometimes it's the social changes, sometimes your identity, kind of coming into a new way and how you're seen in society is the most profound change. So I kind of think of it in in terms of if you think about that parable of like the six blind men and the elephant, and they're each like, touching a different part of the elephant trying to describe to one another like what they've come across and someone's touching the side and someone's touching the tusk and someone's touching the tail and in some versions of that parable like they they actually end up fighting because they think that the uh, you know they're being dishonest with one another mm. but the idea is that no one's wrong in the way we're looking at mothers right you could look at it through the lens of maternal mental health you could look at it through the lens of physical recovery and postpartum time you could look at it through a nervous system lens you could look at it through an attachment lens these are all ways to look at it matrescence kind of like gives that full picture of the elephant to me in a lot of ways it's pulling all of those pieces together and really showing us the whole deal 
Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the OneSkin scientists found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's OneSkin. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food. Like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Oh, that is so great. And uh, such a useful way to think about it too. I don't know what it is, but like, you know, in social media, people are in a position to have to sort of like prove a point or um, mm-hmm. be right or whatever that is. And your, your points about how like these different guys are touching different parts of the elephant and they can all be right. But the sort of social media version of that is arguments or, you know, disagreements and looking at it through this lens that we can all have perspective is so useful, especially mm-hmm. for, and maybe this is where we'll get into some of the juicy bits here is what ends up happening on social media or how people hear about how they're supposed to be as a mother or how they're supposed to be as a parent, as if one person is right and the other person's wrong. And so people are defending their positions and not knowing that it can all be true. All of it can be true. That's right. That's right. All of it can be true. And usually all of it is true, at least Mm -hmm. parts of it. But we are in this, and you hit the nail on the head, we kind of are in this time where if we're looking at content on social media and these small snippets that are attention grabby, Mm -hmm. certitudes have come to rule the day. Mm -hmm. And motherhood is not really about certitudes. It's about a lot of nuance. And we kind of have to respect that the experience is so broad and at the same time, so profound that a lot has to be true all at once. 
And it doesn't mean they need to be in conflict with one another. And I, where I see this and, and my interest in, in writing for the lab, even though my background is in early childhood, is, is in looking at the parent-child dyad, where in some ways we've almost split the parent-child dyad down the middle. Mm-hmm. And we've said, this side is important, the child. <laughs> the mother is you know, rendered invisible if everything is going well with the child. And if something is not going well with the child, she's turned into the scapegoat in yes, many ways. Yes. And that's not a great way to look at the parent-child dyad. No. Because if the development of the child is yoked to the development of the mother, which in many ways we know it to be, then how are we not supporting the whole thing? And why are we splitting it off into this either or, you know, way that we have been doing? And, and the reason we're doing that is because there's certitude in that, right? It's this takes priority, this is going to kind of take a backseat. And there's a lot of nuance in negotiating what's good for the child and what's good for the mother at the same time, because sometimes those two things are in conflict. You know, if Mm -hmm. we're thinking about how, I mean, let's just pick a really hot topic so we can try to make a point. But if we're thinking about sleep training, Mm -hmm. you know, the mother needs sleep. Mm -hmm. The baby needs to be fed. Mm -hmm. These are two important biological needs that are going on and they're in conflict at times. And so there's not necessarily going to be one right answer to that. I'm not going (laughs) to open that can of worms except to appreciate how complex that is. And it's extremely complex. And so someone could say sleep training is the right way to go. Another person could say that's absolute child abuse. Maybe we can find that depending on which way you're looking at that, there could be threads of truth in both, but there's judgment in both. And that's what we can kind of step away from and say that both need to be supported in their development. And so a baby being fed and a mother sleeping, those are both hugely important things. And how do we negotiate that? That's where that nuance comes in. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, you can't boil that down to an Instagram post necessarily. Absolutely not. But because, you know, there's just this like short exposure to just like one or two sentences of a whole concept or a whole understanding. I'm thinking just specifically like people scrolling through stuff and getting these sound bites. What happens, what I see on my end is the mother or the parent or the dad sees this bit of information, thinks because maybe the person's sounding authoritative or Maybe they are an expert, but they're only hearing like one sentence of something and it's absorbed almost immediately because there's some idea that like, if somebody's already sitting there vulnerable, they're in pregnancy or postpartum and they're not sure what they're doing. And somebody else comes in saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Well, then you're more likely to think, yes, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then if you don't have the support to do it, or if you can't do it for whatever reasons, biological or otherwise, then you just sit there with shame and you feel bad. You don't think to yourself, well, I only have one point of this whole big concept. So maybe there's more to the story. That's not how our brains work in those moments. We feel the emotional pang, the shame or embarrassment or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and it gets internalized and we feel okay, well, that's what I'm supposed to do for my child. So I'm going to set aside everything else that I need and just do that one thing that might not even fit into your life or lifestyle. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the willingness to kind of have this like emotional self-erasure in parenthood just has to stop because it can't, we can't raise healthy kids if we're 
trying to eclipse our experience for the benefit of our child. It's just not sustainable. And if we think about, you know, I, I just keep having opportunities to loop back to this, but if we think about matrescence like adolescence, we have research now that says social media can be extremely harmful in adolescence. And so if the brain is doing similar things in matrescence as it's doing in adolescence, we're once again, highly susceptible to suggestion mm -hmm. on social media during that time. And there are people who, you know, not necessarily through overt malintent, but on some level, they know that this is a vulnerable population. And if they have something to sell, if they're selling this idea you know, this is the right way to parent, and they have a vulnerable parent coming to them for that content, they can buy it hook, line and sinker. And, you know, it goes further into this idea that in years past, well before social media, parenting, the idea of parenting, like that was passed down generationally, we had intergenerational contact. And that's how we were learning how to raise our children. Mm. And the people who were supporting us in our parenting experience were people who were highly invested in that family's cultural values being, mm -hmm. you know, perpetuated. Mm -hmm. Now we've divorced parental advice from any lineage. And so it's just coming from like wherever it's the wild <laughs> west. Right. And True. people are looking outwardly to all these <laughs> different places and it's extremely overwhelming and they're drawn to the certitude and the exactness and like, this is the right way. And as you said, someone who feels authoritative to them, rather than someone who's willing to kind of sit in the, well, it, it could be this or it could be this. It, it mm -hmm. just depends. And yeah. so often in parenting and in motherhood, that's the case, you know, in one sense, it could be right for you to lose another night of sleep and get up and feed the baby. In another sense, if you're in a highly fragile state, you have to prioritize your sleep or the mm -hmm. whole house of cards is coming down. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Are you seeing this? I mean, you're, you're seeing kids from uh, how early of an age are kids coming to your? We see them. So sometimes we have our mindful parenting program running, which is like the little, little ones, mm -hmm. um, the babies and the toddlers. And that's a really nice container because it has a parent discussion component mm -hmm. to it mm -hmm. as well. And so we're getting to see the children, then we're getting to see the parents. And so sometimes I'm seeing them as early as 10 months, but as far as who's coming to school every day and the parents I'm most interacting with, it's as early as three. Mm -hmm. Are you, are it's, you seeing this stuff sort of like, I guess, play out in a sense, meaning like, how do you think this lack of honoring the matrescence part of stuff shows up for parents that you interact with? It's challenging because we we're here in support of the child's development, right? As the school and parents are trying to be so much in support of whatever is best for their child. But we also see that parents are extending themselves so much for the benefit of their child that sometimes they're not coming back to their own home base to say like, but what am I going through right now? Mm -hmm. And this is particularly heightened if a child is having a challenge in whatever area. You know, mm. if the child is having a challenge, very often what we're wanting to do as a school is, is look at the whole picture and say, hey, we're noticing this. Is there anything going on at home that we should know about? Because what we see is maybe other areas need support. The child mm. doesn't need fixing. Again, I'm so much of this idea that there's nothing that needs fixing here, but we see something that's a bit different. And so can we get some context? And sometimes the context is that no one at home is sleeping. 
because they have another baby at home. And so there's chronic sleep deprivation going on. I know with my kids, you know, I was hugely dysregulated for long periods of time because I was always getting up with, you know, the next baby. And then my older kids were like, what's wrong with mom? Well, I just wasn't sleeping, but they didn't have any context for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the priorities in our house would need to shift occasionally. Like I had to get some sleep so I could be more regulated. And so how were we going to brainstorm that? And so with parents and the parents that I talk to who are just so completely well-intentioned, as are all parents, for the most part, you know, they're just wanting to do more mm-hmm. for their child. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. the empathetic tilt is all leaning in favor of the child. And what I'm wanting to do and persuade them to do again and again is like, put some of that empathy back on yourself mm-hmm. and the whole picture will kind of reorganize. Mm-hmm. But there's not the impulse to do that. No, I mean, I'm as you're talking through this, I'm thinking of, gosh, uh, so many scenarios where I hear the client, I'm talking about in my own private practice, like clients who are coming in, moms who are influenced by social media uh, on things like sleep training or things like gentle parenting, where they feel maybe because they're only getting sound bites. I'll take gentle parenting, for instance, because I have a certain soapbox about it. I have thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Let's go. It it actually is one of the things that drives me the most crazy when I'm listening to a mom who is feels such a drive to want to do all of the gentle parenting things. Mm -hmm. And that is if they've only heard something on social media or even if they've like, you know, read all the books, there's pressure to do it. Um, just right. And if they don't, then they're not being a good parent. It comes mm-hmm. back on there. F- I hear it all the time. I'm a failure. I'm a bad mom. All, all of these horrible things that people feel mm-hmm. about themselves. And I guess my opinion is that because of what I see is that if there's a prescribed way of parenting that does not include the development of the parent, it is an incomplete model of parenting. That's exactly right. And when we think about gentle parenting, and actually, I just wrote an article, not for the lab, just my own soapbox. Mm -hmm. I just wrote an article that appeared in Insider about this idea that gentle parenting, while perhaps best practice taken in a vacuum for just the child is really eclipsing the parent. Mm -hmm. And it's creating something that's completely unsustainable for the parent. And in some cases, it's so it's doing two things as far as what I see it doing and and the way I see it playing out. It's creating an emotional restriction for the Mm -hmm. parent that's unnatural. Mm -hmm. And it's creating a complete lack of container for the child, Mm -hmm. in some instances. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's taken to extremes. And if you look at, you know, the way attachment kind of got butchered in popular culture. It's like, we took away this idea that mutual delight was part of attachment. Mm -hmm. And instead, we boiled it down to these behaviors. Gentle parenting very likely was based on something that had a lot more nuance to it. But Mm -hmm. the way it's being put into practice, Mm -hmm. and going back to your point of these, like, Mm -hmm. you know, little snippets that people are getting on social media, where they're just hooking into one idea of a behavior that's replicable and not thinking about the internal intention of that practice Mm -hmm. or how grounded you have to be to do that practice effectively. 
they're trying to do the behaviors overlaid on top of a dysregulated nervous system. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and your child is not going to be soothed if you're internally dysregulated and trying to speak all of this, you know, gentleness toward them as they're tantruming. Like, it's not going to be effective mm-hmm. and it's not authentic. Mm-hmm. And so some of the ways that, like what you said, if the parent isn't included in a parenting technique, their development is not being considered. If their internal experience is not being considered, mm-hmm. it's not a complete or sustainable practice because even maternal ambivalence and, you know, Barbara Almond writes about this, the idea of, and some people think ambivalence is like apathy, but, but it's the two valences, right? Mm-hmm. The extreme, like the loving and hating feelings that has its own function mm-hmm. in parenting. Like if we can't honor that sometimes we are past our limit and yes. that means that we have to set a boundary yep. and that that boundary has to be set with a little bit of, now I'm talking about all these people who've come before us who've given us this great language for this, but Lisa Marciano, who writes motherhood with some aggressive capacity, which mm-hmm. doesn't mean we're aggressing toward our child, but that we have like an internal aggressive capacity to mm-hmm. set a boundary. Mm-hmm. We're going to be past our threshold all the time in parenting because yep. yep. it's a child's job to push and feel out the boundaries. And we have to really hit our internal limit and allow ourselves to honor what wells up inside us to be mm-hmm. able to say, nope, that's a no-go with me right, right. now. Yeah. And if we're accepting everything that the child is queuing for, we're kind of losing ourselves in that process, which is never the way it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. That's not a healthy version of the parent-child dyad. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have a historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable And not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash momandmind for 25% off. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. 
That's code MOMANDMIND50 at factormeals.com slash MOMANDMIND50 to get 50% off. This is so rich and so important because it, it just plays out so much all throughout the development of the child and mother. I mean, even during pregnancy, it, it already starts sometimes yes. even before that of uh, this idea of who you are as a parent forms way before you have kids. Um, but especially mm-hmm. during that period where you're working towards becoming a parent in pregnancy or postpartum, you're, you're self-forming your ideas in all kinds of ways about what kind of parent you want to be while sometimes, and this is where I really, really get frustrated with how restricting social media is for people. If you, as a parent, let's say you had a really rough childhood and your goal is to be a different kind of a parent. You want to provide something different for your kids. Great. If gentle parenting is a guidepost for you, there are things within different parenting styles that you're hearing about that are useful to you. Cool. Use those. You're trying to learn a different. Mm -hmm. However, if you can't, if there's no healing of your own heart from your own past, and you're expecting yourself to be something you've never seen before as a parent, it's, how can I say, like, it's not a trap, but it's a setup. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you have to be this, whatever it is, this idealized version of parent, maybe how you wanted to be, how you wanted your parents to be, but you haven't had that healing. It is so much harder to mm-hmm. do parenting in the way that you want to, because there's still so much pain internally. And that is, I mean, I could go on and on about this. That's not even considering whatever context your life is in. Maybe like you just had a kid, but your own parent passed away, Uh, or maybe Mm -hmm. your spouse or partner just lost their job. Like there's no, the the context has to be a part of it. And that's both current time context and where you've come from or what you're trying to heal from. It's nearly impossible to put that standard on yourself of being in this perfect parenting mode all the time while like the world is burning down around you. Yes, exactly. It's, it's like trying to give from an empty well, like mm-hmm. you just can't do it. You have to kind of fill that up first. And then you can think about turning around and providing that from a really authentic place for your child. Mm-hmm. And it's so much, you know, when I came on your show the first time, it, it's so much the experience that I had gone through when I had my first child. And then, you know, as you said, like, the things were kind of burning down around me when I had my second, there were a lot of events that took place kind of one after another, after another in a very tight period of time, Mm -hmm. all before my second child was like one month old. And it really affected my older child. Mm -hmm. And the idea there was not to try to fix her, but to try to really sort out, you know, to stop all the fires basically. Yeah. And I couldn't keep pouring all my energy into only her. I had to give some back to myself Mm -hmm. in order for us to have a sustainable relationship that was going to be healthy for the both of us. And so, yeah, it's not the culture that we're raising children in right now does not make it easy for mothers to turn energy back onto themselves. It's very much the idea is that you give and give and give And we're looking to optimize, you know, our child's development. And we can do that if we focus solely on the child. That's not the full picture. And if we go back, you know, in the 17th and 18th century, we have this idea that 
you know, mother's internal thoughts in pregnancy could cause like blindness or mental illness for their child, really, really insane thing where we've been putting stuff on mothers for centuries. True, true. And then you look back even to last century, and we have this idea of refrigerator mothers causing autism in children, which like that wasn't that long ago. That was like in the 1940s and 50s. And that whole theory was not debunked until the 70s. And so really, really recently, we're talking about scapegoating mothers for just their way of being or their internal life, even like their thoughts, like, you know, you know, 18th, 19th century, their thoughts, 20th century, their actions, right, being cold. Mm -hmm. And now it's like the field of child development, which has done amazing things for us understanding the internal world of children. It's also been a one-sided look at the child's experience. And the mothers are, again, kind of rendered almost like this nuisance factor, if you really look at that. And so we're trying to move in the right direction, but it's gotten very child-centric. And so Mm -hmm. this idea of having an entire field of study devoted to maternal development under this umbrella of matrescence is huge because if we can have mothers come alongside their own development Mm -hmm. in tandem to coming alongside their child's development, this is hugely powerful for the mothers that are, you know, being born into their motherhood right now. And it's Mm -hmm. hugely powerful for the next generation of children who get to see that their mothers valued themselves in their own experience as well as Mm -hmm. the, you know, their child and that both can be done. It's the messier version, right? It's not the quick certitude of like, Mm -hmm. do this, you'll get that result. But, you know, it can be done in a way that is supportive to both. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I think it has to be that way. I mean, this is a system that each of the dyads or the whole family each has their own a system. And right, if you're just taking one huge part of that out and asking them to be a robot, (laughs) like it's not Mm going to work. It's short sighted, and it's too incomplete. Yeah, a very compassionate robot with so many snacks. Oh my gosh, I just (laughs) thought of the Jetsons. Really old cartoon, but (laughs) yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) We can't all live up to that standard. (laughs) No. But like, I love this discussion and I think there's so much more that both of us could say about it, especially in terms of a soapbox frustrations with how you see it impacting the folks that you work with and me too, just Mm -hmm. strictly on the mental health side of the mother. But outside of that, is there anything you'd like to wrap us up on? It's just bringing it back to this idea of, of matrescence as a developmental framework, you know, if we think about it in that way versus the ways that our culture kind of likes to think about passage into motherhood, where it's like, okay, you have the baby. And then after a certain amount of time, you, you bounce back, you come back from that experience. When we look at it through the lens of matrescence, that's not the goal is that, you know, we're transformed by this process. And so it's not as though you reach this point where you can be so compassionate that you're choosing your child over yourself all the time. It's, it's not a an instinct that's going to kick in. It's more something that like adolescents, we move into a different phase of life. So just maybe we can close with this quote from Dr. Ethan, where Mm -hmm. she was recently interviewed, and I loved the way she summed this up. She says, the bounce back is a cultural myth 
This isn't about pressuring mothers to get their body back or returning to work and life as if nothing ever happened. There is no before. There is only forward. This is hopefully about transformation. It has the potential to change everything. It really does. I agree with that. If we can help people in their development through this period of time into whatever it's going to look like as they move through it, it's better for everyone. It's better for mom, baby, family, dad, partner, everyone. Everyone. really, Really appreciate that perspective. And to realize that we're in a very long game here. So the sprinting has to stop (laughs) because this is a marathon. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing this in. It's been on my mind and as a frustration on my end with the parents that I meet with. So having this discussion, having your perspective in here is so helpful. I know to people who are listening. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm just so happy to be back and Great discussion. We could probably talk all day about this. A hundred (laughs) percent. Thank you. You can connect with Christine on thefamilyflow.com or her work in the Montessori at carrigmontessori.com. She's also on Instagram at Christine M. Carrig. And if you'd like to learn and read more uh, about what she's written on this topic, you can look at our show notes for the link to insider.com. And if you haven't yet tuned into the new series on the Mom and Mind podcast called Behind the Sessions, please do. Every other Thursday, I'm releasing episodes that are therapy-related and therapy topic-related. Just to give a deeper dive into the types of things that people bring into therapy and the types of things that people are struggling with and trying to seek healing through. You don't have to do anything different than what you already do to listen to this podcast. The episodes are rolled right into it, but do be sure to subscribe so that you are alerted when any new episode is dropped. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at mom and mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.